Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. This is Charlene Anderson, your wholesale sourcing expert on a beautiful Wednesday in Southern California where it is about 80 degrees warmer than my where I live at home, so it's fantastic. So we have a really special guest today, um, live in the studio, because I'm in one bedroom in the house, and my mom is in the other bedroom, and she is here to talk to you about her life in business. Um, I'm going to welcome Joan Flickinger, who otherwise known as Mom, and I know everybody in the group knows her as Mom, um, Mom, and I'm just going to call you Mom because I can't call you Joan. So are you there, Mom? I'm here. Yay. Okay. So my mom um, started in business well before I was born because I I don't remember there ever being a time when my mom wasn't in business. So, Mom, how did you get started in a business? Well, first of all, I was working as a secretary um, for a large company, and your father had just left his job, and we met, and he asked me to come to work for him, and um, I did. He promised me that he would double my salary in six months. Instead, we were married four months later, and he cut it in half. So, But it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to be in business. What kind of business was it? We were in aircraft hardware. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, but um, aircraft and airlines and the war and all of those things, of course, made our product uh, very desirable. And we represented uh, large manufacturers that didn't want to do small orders. And we were more than willing to do that, buying in bulk and then selling in small quantities. So you uh, you sold nuts and bolts for basically the aircraft industry. Right. Uh, nuts, bolts, screws, anything that held a plane together, we had it. Okay. And did you make the stuff or did you get it from the manufacturers? We... Uh, at first, uh, we were just distributors, and we purchased the items. And if someone called us and wanted um, 100 or 500 certain bolts, we would order 1,000 so that we had it in stock the next time. And so we built a large inventory that way. So you built the – that's pretty clever. I hadn't thought of doing that so you built the inventory based on the order you got, and you just ordered more so then you had it. So basically, they paid to build your inventory. That's correct. And, and did, you, did you start out with a lot of money to get started? 
No, we started out with $123. Awesome. And I remember as a kid that you had a small warehouse to start because nuts and bolts really quantities you can't store in your garage after a certain point. But um, how did you decide which way to grow? Were you uh, going to stay stay in the aircraft, or did you? How did you do that? Uh, actually, it was by demand. Uh, we decided that aircraft was primary, but we supplied parts for a lot of different industries, and one of our major ones was the. Um, um, Shell, uh, Carol Shelby's uh, cars that uh, he took to uh, England and ran in the, uh, well, I guess it was Spain, the um, 500 over there. And oh, like the Le Mans cars? Uh, yes. And he um, actually came to us and uh, because he was, uh, his parts were, inadequate for high speed and heat. So we had uh, titanium parts manufactured for him, which he said caused him to win first, second, third, and fifth in the Milan races. That's awesome. And you had stuff on another famous, um, I know because I remember remember it, another famous event in the 1960s you had products on. Yes, we were very fortunate, and our advertising at that time was from Le Mans to the Moon. And we had uh, parts on the first uh, moonshot. That's that's so awesome. So I think most of us of a certain age can remember where we were when that happened and everything. Right. So obviously you were a working mom since I'm here, uh, and my brother was um, was also part of the whole deal. Um, yes. How did you manage to build a business from nothing, which I know took a lot of work, with a family to take care of too? I think the biggest thing is we included you and your brother in what we were doing. Um, Instead of buying you toys, we gave you time. And uh, we took you with us everywhere we went. And um, you came to the plant uh, from the small one to the bigger one. And you just really enjoyed uh, running up and down the aisles and getting parts and using the machine to make boxes. And you learned probably more on hands than um, anyone would imagine. I was also very fortunate to have an employee that had a wife that uh, turned out to be one of the greatest nannies in the whole world. And um, she, of course, kept the house running. And uh, But this was after we made money, you know, to be able to afford that. But you just were, you were good kids. What can I well, say? I have to say that some of my fondest memories as a kid were being at work with you guys. Because it was like, it was a game, you know? And I didn't need a ton of toys. Because I had a box making machine and a tape gun. And 
And, you know, um, Mom and I were talking earlier, at that time in the 60s, um, inventory was kept on basically index cards. And if you sold 100 of something, you crossed out the number and subtracted 100, then you knew how many you had. And um, they had so many SKUs in their warehouse that they used a Rolodex-like machine. But it was like a giant Ferris wheel. This thing was like eight feet long and six feet high. And it was just Rolodexes that uh, moved around. You pressed a button and they spinned around on these little trays like uh, cars on a, or cabs on a Ferris wheel. And you could find the part numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I think kind of the thing I'd like to say to everybody from the kid's point of view with parents that had a business is get them involved as soon as they can do anything and let them help, right? That's correct. The most important thing, as I said before, is giving your children time. Um, you just And remember one thing, too. If you scream at your children, they're going to learn to scream. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, my parents patience. never fought, so no. I was very lucky. Patience uh, is... There are times when I felt overwhelmed, but uh, I would just look at two faces and say, hey, this is easy. And um, <laughs> so <clears throat> it worked out very well. Excuse me, I'm getting a cold. Get a tickle? I, uh. Yes, yes, but uh, it'll go away. So Alp is asking if I ever felt neglected. Not in the least. Not in the least. And here's the other thing that I can remember is I really wanted to be around my parents as a kid because it was fun. We got to go to the office and race up and down. And, you know, and I have to say, I remember mom's employees really being nice to us too, you know, Um, that they were willing to put up with us making boxes and weighing nuts and bolts. You know, you, you weighed them, you didn't count them because they knew on the end of the box, it said how many weight, a hundred weighed X amount. And then you weighed them to, to, put them in the box. I remember that. So, um, so Alpha's saying mom in the chat room, that parent, parents need to get rid of the guilt that they feel like working neglects their kids, right? Oh, it doesn't at all because you still have plenty of time in the day to spend with your children. And remember when you drive in the driveway, you leave that behind you and you devote your time to your children. Uh, they don't necessarily need a, a steak for dinner. A chicken pie will do. Uh, Had a few of those in my it. life. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you used to put the carrots and peas where the dog could eat them. Yeah. I did. I didn't like the peas and carrots and the chicken pie, and I'd put them on the fork and then put the fork under the table so the dog would lick them off the fork. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, um So I think the other thing is um, I know you and your philosophy because I feel the same way. You built your business without taking out huge business loans and these things that people think they need to do, right? Right. Uh, We never, I don't think over twice we ever took out a loan, although we had a, a line of credit with the company. Uh, or with the bank, so that the companies would know that we were stable and would pay our bills. Uh, 
I think even in the beginning, we had, you know, a big deal, $5,000 line of credit through Bank of America. So, you know, it, well, it was Security Bank at that time. But um, you need to establish a good credit and good work ethics. And when you give your word, you try and try and try to keep the word to your customer. Because without that customer, you have no business. That's right, and you wouldn't need a line of credit, would you? Yeah, because, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, what do you think about credit card debt in building a business? Um, if you can use your credit card to an advantage, um, I assume it would be okay. Um, I wouldn't like to go that way. Um, but if it was necessary, uh, I would. Uh, I would use the credit card to uh, pay and then sell the products and then pay off the credit card. But you have to be very careful about your timing on that. I mean, you just can't go willy-nilly, as you might say, uh, and use a credit card. A credit card, to me, is to be used as an advantage and not to overextend yourself. That's and that's you guys can see where I've got it from because I've I've talked about that that I use credit cards every day in my business but I make sure that I have a plan to pay them off um when that bill comes at the end of the month. And I use it as a way to use other people's money for that 30 days to keep the business going. If you so can Buffy, charge, if you can charge it the first of the month and not have to pay it off until the thirtieth of the month, that's the way to go. And Ed is saying, and then you use it also because you get the, the rewards and the cash back. Also, you know, leverage that as part of the whole package. That's true. So Buffy wants but, you to come to lot to the show in Las Vegas. She wants to sit and ask questions with you. <laughs> that's what she just typed in. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, remember I was telling you Buffy has the best name in the world for an online seller? <laughs> Buffy sells right. more. <laughs> right. we, we, Buffy, we laughed about that last night at dinner that I told her about you have the best name um, for an online seller that could ever exist in the world. So um, so you you were in an interesting position. Um, you You, for the most part, didn't make the products but you didn't sell to consumers like the individual people. So you were a distributor in the middle. But did you feel like those people, like we would be buying stuff from you and then reselling it on Amazon. But did yes. you feel a obligation or an importance to us as your customer? Were we as important as we hope we are? Oh, definitely. Of course, we didn't sell to individuals. Uh, we sold to Douglas Aircraft and McDonald Aircraft and all of the big names at that time. Um, so we didn't sell to individuals. If someone, you know, called us and they needed three or four screws or whatever, we gave it to them because we didn't know that guy could be working at Douglas. Yeah. So it was, you know, you have to cover all your bases. 
we had one uh, little man that was really interesting and he on his own time and with his own money and contributions he built uh, wheelchairs for children at children's hospitals and so we always gave him all of the hardware that he needed to build wheelchairs and we got the most wonderful letters back from children's hospital and how excited the kids were and um, pictures of them and so that was reward enough we we could do that because we had the parts that he needed and it was wonderful you made a, a really good point about the guy who might need just a few screws, but you don't know what he might order in the next week or month. And I think because we are micro-sized businesses, basically, right. in the world, um, it is a lot of people feel like they're not big enough to go approach a business like yours to buy nuts and bolts to resell. But it's good to hear that you, as the business owner, realize that everybody starts small, right? So we shouldn't be That's afraid right. to approach you. And That's what's right. the, yeah. So so I think guys out there who are just getting started, especially people listening on the call, you need to realize don't be embarrassed because you're a small seller to approach a company um, because they, meaning someone like my mom who ran the company to sell to people like us and, uh, and big businesses realizes that we start somewhere. And in five years, we may be ordering hundreds of thousands of screws. That's right. And one of the things that um, built our business, and I know it sounds strange, since we only started with $123, is that we really catered to the petty cash buyers from Douglas and McDonald and all of those because they would do R&D, research and development, and they would have a $100 minimum uh, that to uh, minimum and maximum uh, to spend on maybe three screws. So believe me, every morning when I went to the office, those were the first ones I called because I loved those petty cash orders. <laughs> Which a lot of, I bet a lot of the suppliers wouldn't bother with them. That's well, hundred dollars. Right. We're not going to bother with that. So, right. so I can remember you saying that you would get up in the morning and go through your Rolodex and call them and ask them what they needed that day or that week. That's right. And usually it was they needed it immediately. So if they needed it in the middle of the night, they had our number. They would call us and we would go to the warehouse and pack it and take it over to them. Yeah, and business. Right, and then the next time they maybe needed a thousand of them, then there's another big growth in your business because you've treated the little guy right. That's right. We treated the engineers that needed the R&D business, and, of course, then they put it on their record that they got it from aircraft-threaded products. And so the purchasing agent, when he needed... A thousand or five thousand or whatever would follow us. So it was just, you know, a really good deal for us. So our lesson from that is we shouldn't be afraid to ask a big vendor like you to help us out to start. Oh, absolutely not. 
Okay, guys listening, don't be afraid to ask because that is the biggest question I have in the group is I'm small, nobody wants to work with me. So, um, But you so can't need... take that attitude. You see, yeah. you have to use the attitude is, hey, I'll call them. They want to work with me. You have to there be you positive. Go. You have to be positive in business. And you have and to ask for what you want, I think, right? That's right. And don't be afraid to ask. Usually they're on one end of the phone and you're on the other. They can't, you know, they, they can't get mad at you. What's the worst they can say? No. <laughs> right, or send you to someone uh, that could accommodate you. And you would do that if you had somebody like us call you and you couldn't do the order, you would refer them to somebody who might be able to? That's right. See, when I worked for um, Cooper Precision Products, how I met your dad is we didn't handle small orders. So I referred small orders to him. Ah, see, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes, yes. Ah. So there again, relationship building. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I have a question from Alp um, in the group. Um, um, My mom has not sold online. I can give that, but she buys a lot online, I know. How would you alter your business, knowing what you did, to work with more current sales things like online selling? Was it possible to do? Oh, sure. There would be no problem at all. In fact, I think I, although we didn't have it then, I would really welcome it uh, because I think that's a really very vital part of business. And we shouldn't be afraid of it either. I think that's a big thing. Holly's saying... Um, hearing that about the approaching a big company like you, and I can't remember how big your last warehouse was, but it was big enough that I roller skated for hours and didn't hit the same aisle twice. I mean, hundreds <laughs> of thousands of square feet. It, um, right. If anybody knows L.A. and the L.A. airport area, um, the warehouse was across the street from LAX, and it took up the block that now is a Carl's Jr., and across the street from it is the Hilton Hotel with the black glass um, uh, walls. So if you're ever at LAX, look for that Carl's Jr. And then you'll find out where the warehouse was. But I literally, they had a cart, an electric cart that you went and picked orders. But we also had roller skates and we would skate around it like um, like crazy. So, so it was a big, big warehouse. So we need, Holly's saying, uh, this is huge because it shows... I am second and third guessing myself about approaching the big booth. You know, she's afraid to ask. So we need Mm -hmm. to not be. Well, because the big booth may give you uh, a name of someone, even though they wouldn't want to do it, they may give you the name of one of their distributors that would. So you see, it's just a line of distributors all the way down. And you you want to become one of those then you have to ask the big one, do you have any uh, anyone that would sell to me if they say no, they won't? So you okay. ask someone that is, you know, carries their product that would sell 
to uh, a small investor. So that's exactly what Sally's saying in the chat room. So if they don't want to work with us, we should ask who they would recommend. Exactly. Correct. That's right. Exactly. And all and they can do is say no. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to chase you down the aisle of the trade show and um, and do something to you. It, yeah, no is the worst. So I know after the aircraft business, you sold the aircraft business to a big, big, like, company yes. that's on the New York Stock Exchange and all that. At the same time, you had a fishing rod business, I remember. Uh, yes, that was your dad's baby. You know, he he was a super, super salesman. There's no question about that. And he went in business with a couple of friends and had the Harnell Fishing Rod Company. And so he ran that and went to all the trade shows and with the uh, fishing rod business. And I, in turn, stayed at the aircraft business. And I bought a company called Russell uh, Machine Works and so that we could manufacture special items. And um, so we had, you know, several things going. But um, the biggest thing is that... Uh, we had two children that understood what we were doing. And that's because we included you. And it, you made it fun. To me, it was it was fun to do the stuff. I can remember yeah. going to a trade show as a kid, and it must have been a sporting goods show. I have no idea what show it was, and I can't remember where it was. But I remember you and Dad in the booth demonstrating the fishing rods. So we got to see that side of it, you know. Right, right. And then, and you of course, would... your dad was always buying things for me. He came in one day and he says, oh, I bought you a ranch. And I said, you bought me what? He says, yeah, I bought you a ranch. And I, oh, good. I said, what am I going to do with the ranch? And he said, well, um, they're raising pulled Hereford cattle on it now. And I said, oh, great. I don't know anything about pulled Hereford cattle. You will. Don't worry, you will. So that started the ranch, which you kids really enjoyed. Yeah, now, it was a great place to grow up. It was great. Yeah. And it grew too expensive to raise Cold Herford cattle in Southern California. So he came in one day and he says, oh, I bought you a racehorse. I, oh, great. What do I do with a racehorse? You'll learn. You'll learn. So... Okay, I'll learn. And that was a wonderful experience for you and uh, your brother. I think you both enjoyed it. And it gave, oh my you gosh. Pers- yeah. gave you another perspective of life. So this is what I'm talking about. With your children, you have to include them and let them learn. Don't buy them a, a toy or whatever. You know, take them to the zoo or Take them to a museum. Uh, spend time with them. You can make, you know, you can make that time. You can spend a couple of three hours to do something like that. It's like your swimming lessons and your horseback riding lessons and all those. It took a couple hours out of my time, but it was sure worth it. As a kid, it was to me. I and I remember the swimming lessons distinctly. I I learned to swim 
when I was really, really young, like barely, I think I could just walk and I learned to swim. And um, you learned to swim and before I, you could walk. I could swim before I could walk. But I remember I kept going to lessons to be a better and better swimmer. And I can remember I got yelled at by you once because I wouldn't get out of the pool and you had to get back to work. That's right. Uh, you took lessons from Crystal Scarborough and uh, she would let you stay out in the middle of the pool treading water and I couldn't get to you to, because I had to go back to work. But that was, yeah, done I, my, that was done on my lunch hour. And I remember it, and I loved it. And I agree what you say. Instead of working three hours to buy a toy, take the three hours and just go do something, you know? That's right. It could, like you said, it could be a walk. It could be sitting in the backyard playing a board game, whatever. But just do don't work so much that you can't enjoy what you're working for. That's right. So, and as a kid, and I'm going to give it from the kid's perspective because there's a lot of moms in the group who I know feel guilty. Don't. Because no. I, when I look back, I don't remember the times mom and dad were at work. I remember the times they were home doing stuff. You know, it wasn't like, oh, it's horrible they're at work, you know. Um, it was either we'd go to work on the, if you had to go in on the weekends, we'd go with you and do stuff. Or in the summer, we'd get to go and do stuff at the office. But I think it's, I think parents feel, make themselves feel guilty when the kids, it doesn't matter to them at all. You know? No, it doesn't. And I can remember you had to travel a fair bit on business too, doing stuff. And I can remember it wasn't so bad that you went away, but we were really happy to see you come home. You know, it wasn't like, oh, geez, mom and dad are coming home. No, it was great, you know. Um, it wasn't because we brought you anything. It was because you wanted to see us, I hope. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right, you know. And um, I think that that the stuff I learned hanging around the physical stuff at the aircraft threaded products, the making the boxes, the weighing the nuts and bolts, the doing the inventory kind of things. Because they, um, mom let me actually, they'd give a list of what inventory I need to mark off the cards. And I would sit there and, you know, find the card and mark off what would sold of those so they could keep a running tally of how many of that bolt or nut they had. Um, I learned a lot doing that, and I learned a lot on the ranch. And the part I learned there, besides the horses and taking care of horses, the bookkeeping part, which I think was really important. Because you, you showed me how to, you know, bill people for stuff that you had to keep track of the injections the horses got or the shoeing or whatever, and how to keep track of all that. And I think that was really important. Well, I think it really built a basic for what you're doing today. So so working parents who have small businesses, you guys who are listening, let your kids help you with, with stuff that you may think they don't know, need to know, but in the end, it will be valuable. Who would have thought I'd need to know how to keep a set of books, you know? I don't do my own books anymore for the business, but I know to know that they're right because I know how to do it now that I've hired somebody, you know? Um, Holly's saying she has kids who are nine and six and they love helping in the business. And Holly grew up working in her dad's business. See, there you go. That's right. 
And I bet, Holly, you probably loved it as much as I did, you know, and I bet your kids will too. Um, they will learn stuff like you did that you can't teach in a book, you know. Um, and Sherry's son helps. He's a box packer. So he packs the, the, the shipments going out. And you know what? You'll, he'll learn to be organized and be efficient by doing that because he'll know how to get it done in the fastest amount of time, you know. And That's right. And he'll teach you something. He may come That's up with good ideas point. you you he may come up with ideas you never thought of. Like mom, what if you did it this way? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And listen to him. You may have a valid reason for not doing it that way, but explain to him why it can't be done that way. And Sherry's also saying that he talks to other kids in stores to find out what is hot in the new toys. So she can know what what products. So, and Carolyn says she tells her kids it's like playing playing Tetris, packing boxes. Is right, right. You know, so yeah, so you can. It's just giant size Tetris, and you know that old joke about how kids play with the boxes instead of the toys anyway. You know, um, and they do. So, I know. I know that's true, and. Uh, I mean, you boggle their mind if you give them too many toys. Um, You know, to me, toys are great, uh, but it was not the end all for my family. Um, Even today, we really don't give each other big gifts. Um, You know, just a a remembrance is all you need. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and Sherry's saying her son definitely loved playing with the boxes. So oh, Elizabeth definitely. is saying her daughter is 11 and a half and is too cool to help her figure out hot toys. But what else could an 11 and a half year old do to help Elizabeth with her business? Oh, there's so many things. Uh, I don't know exactly what business she's in, uh, but there's just the basic uh, of business and Of course, you've got to remember, too, that maybe the kids will go through a period of where they did it for until they were 10, and they don't want to do it now, and they may come back to it when they're 18. Um, Their ideas and their uh, pleasures uh, change, and you have to prepare yourself for it. You have to prepare yourself for the day that they don't need you as much. And that is nothing to do with you or how you've taught them or anything. It's just that they are growing up and their ideas are changing. And uh, you have to respect that. I mean, I as I said, I don't know what products she's selling, but 11 and a half year old girl is probably beginning to think of other things. (laughs) And Bridget's saying working with your children also gives you lots of time to talk with them and listen while you're doing something with them without sitting down across the table kind of talking because you're just talking. Right. And, um, you know, I, I dislike hearing that parents do not have an evening meal with their children. And, of course, it was always with 
you know, my children and maybe 20 others. I never knew how many you would bring home, but we always made all of your friends feel welcome. That's a really good point, and I will have to say that I agree that that, that, that sitting down at a dinner table together, I think that has to be a priority. And I can remember as busy you, as you guys were, we always had dinner together, always, no matter what. Right. Um, and, and, and it's true, especially when we moved out of Los Angeles, you'd sold the aircraft business and we were living on the ranch. It would be that like kids that appear at the doorstep, you know, right around dinner time, conveniently, you know, um, my brother would have a couple friends over and I'd have a girlfriend over and there, who knows how many people it could be three or it could be 10, you know, would show up because my mom's a really good cook. And so, you know, instead of making enough pork chops for my brother and my dad and mom and me, she'd make enough for 10 more people, you know. Um, so um, so I do think that's important. Carolyn says she needs to get back to that rule now. Uh, Sherry says it's one rule they enforce, that they always eat dinner together. And as Elizabeth says the same thing, she agrees it's so important um, to have dinner together. So, you know. It is. It's, it, yeah. And one thing that is very important to remember, you talk to your children at dinner. You don't grill them. Uh, what did you do? Why did you do it? You know, you just have conversations, and if they want to tell you what they did today, that's fine. If it's, you know, if you can get it out of them without them sounding like you're grilling them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think you can also do that, um, like, uh, I can't remember who it was who said it, that when they're working together, it's a time to talk. If you're packing boxes with your kid, you can talk, you know, without sounding like you're grilling, you know. That's right. Uh, kids are funny. Uh, they they want to tell you things, but they want to tell you in their time. They don't want you to force them to tell you, you know, well, I had a fight or I, you know, dropped the eggs in the middle of the floor, any of those kind of things. You do not reprimand your children at dinner time. Okay, good rule. Dinner was always fun for us. I mean, it was, it, yeah, I have to say I look back and it was, it wasn't, we didn't get, what did you do in school today? What grades did you get on your test? It wasn't any of that, you know. It was just, you talk and you laugh and you figure, is Tony Chiffelier coming over, you know, for dinner? Who's coming, you know? <laughs> that or was one of the guys, my brother's friends, that would show up for dinner almost every day. Well, and like your friend Rex Davis, he wrote oh, to me. Oh, yeah, yep. And he, he said that he, to, even today, when he puts his butter knife on his bread plate, he thinks of me because I taught him to do that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and we, we're still in touch with him on Facebook, this kid, you know. Well, kid, he's my age, you know. And he says he does remember that, that my mom taught him table manners because his parents didn't, you know. So that was, and when you remember that, that's an influence. Fifty years later, you know, you can say, he thinks of me every time he puts his butter knife on his bread plate, you know. <laughs> that's really a compliment. Yeah, Sherry's saying... Her son likes to talk at bedtime, so they spend the last hour of his day in his bed reading together and talking. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. That's great. 
Oh, and Ed is saying his parents were very strict, so he just had to be quiet at dinner. So, um, but Ed is a uh, come out of his shell because Ed's one of our biggest jokers in the group. <laughs> oh, Ed, yeah, yeah. Ed, Ed kind of went the other way. So, um, and we have other people saying um, Buffy saying her grandson helps her now with her business. So she's Wonder- having another generation. Yeah. Yeah, and he likes to pretend. Oh, this sounds. Oh, this sounds really familiar. He also likes to pretend to take phone orders. I used to do stuff like that. (laughs) Yes, we disconnected. We disconnected one phone and a desk, and you would sit there and pretend that you were taking orders. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious! So that's just that's just great because. I remember answering the phone, aircraft-rented products. <laughs> right. How may I help you? Yeah, how may I help you? Yep, exactly, because that's what I learned. And, you know, I then on the ranch, we always had to answer the phone, blue at the ranch, you know. And, um, yeah, so it was, those things you'll never forget how to do when you've learned them when you're that young, you know. Um, well, you learned a lot about the feed business, uh, the... Uh, all different types of things from the ranch, as well as from aircraft-threaded products. Oh, yeah. I knew how to order, you know, like when they'd order horse feed, it would be, you know, not bags. It would be tons coming in a big truck that would offload it into these big silo things um, to feed the horses. And, yeah, then I knew how to check how much feed you needed and to reorder from Albers to get the feed and, yeah, and I, I think the thing I learned most, besides the physical taking care of horses, was the bookkeeping part. That yes. was the most that was the most thing. Um that, you know, you had to just keep on top of it and keep records. And I remember the first of the month when you had to send all the invoices out and all of that and, and how important that was because if you didn't do it you didn't get paid. That's right. And then sometimes after you did it, you didn't get paid. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole other story. We, we who yeah. sell on Amazon, are, we're a little in a little better shape because Amazon handles the money collection for us. But we have to learn how to, to keep track of it all, you know? Right. So well, if somebody has a kid who, you know has expressed an interest in their business, say they're a 10-year-old and they really like helping, what would you say you could do to encourage that? By letting them help. It's Just let them go for it, huh? Yeah, keep their interest up and and be thankful that they are. Uh, and don't become too busy to let them help you. You know, a lot of times we oh, I can pack that box quicker or I can do this faster or, you know, or no, I don't like your idea. You know, you have to listen. That's the biggest thing about being a parent. Listen and shut up for a few minutes and let the kid tell you. Okay, so just don't be the one who has to keep talking. That's right. Let them tell you and you'll learn a lot. It's unbelievable. So um, the the big thing that I that I think as I think the guilt is the biggest one. I want I don't I want these I want people in my group 
who are work a lot of people I know are working full time in a outside job and they're building trying to build a business and raise a family. And I think the guilt they're feeling that they're not doing any of them well is incredible. How do you get over the guilt? Um your children will tell you. Uh if you if you feel guilty, they're going to feel guilty of taking your time and your effort. Um, so you just guilt is a, a strange thing. We can build guilt in our mind, but isn't even there. Uh, your mm. children, your children um, will let you know if you should feel guilty. But if you're doing the right thing, if you're just, you know, you may come home uh, from your primary job, which I did all those years, and um, you may, you know, snap at them or something because they're, you're irritated and uh, they want some of your time. Well, just remember that you leave that at the front door. When you walk through that door, you are a different person than you were at work. Uh, If you're building a business at home also, if you include them, you should not feel guilty. Um, But if you tell them, oh, go in the other room and play with your toys, then maybe you are a little guilty. Um, Spend that few, you know... an hour of your time is invaluable to your children. And um, you should not feel guilty. You should leave that at the door and you should spend time, even if it's one hour before bedtime, it's like the one girl was talking about, uh, just reading and talking to them before they go to bed. Uh, But don't let them go to bed with you reprimanding them for something they may have done. Uh, make it so that their their conscience is not guilty um, because they did something that they thought you wouldn't like. Um, so guilt is a strange thing. You can build guilt in your mind when it should not even be there. And uh, Bridget's saying it's good advice for spouses too. You know, don't you have to have an understanding and and explain why you need to work, you know? Um, That's right. But, you and, know, don't, don't stay overtime just to uh, buy your kid uh, a toy. Um, the, your time is more valuable to them than a toy is. I totally agree. And from the, the kid's point of view, um, I totally agree. Because, I, you know, I have to say, we didn't have a ton of toys. You know, no. it, you know, it's it's not like we had a playroom that was filled with stuff. We each, my brother and I were lucky enough we each had our own bedroom, but we had our closet and all the toys were, you know, in a corner of the closet, and that was it. It wasn't like the living room was covered with toys and all that. And I never felt like I I needed more toys. Well, so, like, um, and because we were in business and we had so many. Um, people that we purchased from and they used to send you toys for Christmas, you know. And we would end up with a closet full of toys, but we never gave them to you at one time. We just gave you one or two toys and 
that was it. And when you got through playing with it, well, you know, we passed it on to some other kids that might not have, and we gave you one more. Uh, but uh, I see these programs on TV, and the children have to have a playroom. They have to have a place for the toys. I am amazed at the people that live next door to us and what they had in their backyard for their children to play with, which they never did. They never played Oh, God. Yeah, this was a previous people who lived next door. They had more toys than I've ever seen in my life. Everything you could imagine from swing sets and stuff down to every piece of Fisher-Price stuff in the world. I mean, it, and it's a big backyard, and it was covered with toys. And she used to have a garage sale every two months to get rid of some of the toys, and then she would take that money and go buy more toys. And her kids needed time. It's all. Um, um, the, um, the thing that's come up in the chat room is a lot of us had ant farms as kids. Um, oh, yes. Somebody, Alp was saying she played with leaves and ants and her imagination. And, yeah, she created rivers with sticks. Um, yeah, it's that kind of stuff, you know. Elizabeth had an ant farm. That's <laughs> so uh, horrible. But um, Alp is saying that parents get into debt to get rid of guilt. So they buy all this stuff because they feel guilty. That's exactly right. And they take them to the grocery store and let them choose the food to eat. That, to me, is ludicrous. I cannot see letting your children choose your meals. You're going to end up with, what, uh, sugary cereals and, and uh, Pop-Tarts. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a really good point because I remember um, you and Dad um, never, like, said, what do you want for dinner? What are you going to eat? You made dinner, and that's what we ate. You know, that's um, right. And, and if you um, didn't like I it, have, didn't eat. If you didn't like <laughs> it, I didn't fix it again. Yeah, or you know, and yeah, it's funny. And now I go to the store and see that where you know, what kind of cereal do you want? What kind of meat should we get? What should we, you know? It's like I never thought of that. I can't imagine that that kind of control with like with an eight year old. You know, I mean, well, I see it with three-year-olds that have a screaming fit in the aisle way because mom doesn't get them a certain item. Um, You know, it's just, those are decisions that you need to make for the children, not them make it for you. Alp is just saying in capital letters, thank you. That makes me nuts at a friend's house like they are at a restaurant. Yes. I mean, you know, it's on the table. If you want to eat it, there it is. If you don't, well, don't eat it. But I would try not to fix it again. Yeah, like salmon patties. That was the one. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, that. I know. I think you only made those once, and that was enough for me. It's like uh, I'd rather have the pork chops that you made were really good. So, um, and there, it's funny. The chat room's now like going crazy. That everybody wants to get an ant farm again. You know. Oh. Well, can I tell you, ant farms can be kind of dangerous, too. Remember when your brother broke his and the yeah. ants all over everywhere? Yeah, I do. I also remember when his hamster got loose in the house. Yes, yes. And he didn't tell me, so I didn't know to look for it. 
yes. Those yeah, were the so. Days. And, and when your grandfather found a snake for him. Oh, God, yes. And he let yeah. it out. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Brother was it's, interesting to, to And raise. I hate snakes. That's the one thing, the one animal that, <laughs> I'm like Indiana Jones, where he said, I hate snakes. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> right. so, yeah, can't stand snakes. So. So, um, yeah, the whole guilt and the the buying stuff, there's a lot of comments about um, um, buying stuff to get rid of that guilt kind of thing instead of spending the hour, as somebody said, reading in bed at night, you know. Um, right. Uh, please so. don't feel guilty. You should not. Leave it at the door. Don't let your children think you feel guilty because, you know, they will really put you on a guilt trip then. <laughs> As somebody said, kids know how to work their parents. Buffy oh, said that. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and you remember going fishing with your dad more than you remember us bringing home a Chatty Kathy or something. I don't remember Chatty Kathy at all, but I remember going fishing and like the times we'd go out of San Diego and go deep sea fishing, I remember that really, really well. And I can remember going fishing up in the high Sierras for trout fishing up there. And I can remember that dad had Charlie and I sit on the edge of the pool with our fishing rods and cast into a bucket he set on the diving board at the other end of the pool so we could practice casting to get better at it. I remember that. Yeah, the toys, I don't remember, you know. The ants. The ant farm I remember, and I remember I had Briar model horses. Those were the other stuff I don't remember at all, you know? Right, right. And, uh, well, you had the little farm, if you remember. Oh, you a- that one, yeah, the metal one that had all the fences and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that in a long time, but. But the other kind of stuff, oh, and I have to tell everybody the other toy I now remember. I got a toy, probably I was eight or nine, maybe ten, because I remember the house we lived in, and it was called Creepy Crawlers, <laughs> and it was this, like, hot plate that you put these metal molds on, and you put rubber um, things, uh, like a goop in it, and the heat set it. It probably would be outlawed now because of the heat and all that, and then you made, like, spiders and flies and all this kind of stuff. Oh, and Elizabeth had a creepy crawler set. Elizabeth, my mom put up with me putting bobby pins on those things, and she wore them in her hair just to be a good mom. I remember that really, really well, that she would go to work with these creepy crawly spiders and stuff in her 60s bouffant hairdo. And, and you know, I just I was so proud because she wore them. You know, I made this and she wore it, you know. It's uh so, uh, yeah, and I didn't realize anybody. So Elizabeth will have to talk creepy crawler sets. <laughs> so anyway, I think we're out of time. I'm going to look through and see if we have any other questions about business and guilt and kids and all of that. Um, somebody saying hunger will fix that restaurant house thing. You know, you put the food on the table. Uh, Alp saying hunger will take care of that. <laughs> you know, right. get hungry enough that that they'll end up eating something, you know? Um, so, um, so, and Buffy's saying it went really, really fast, and Elizabeth had forgotten um, about her creepy crawler, but her mom didn't wear the stuff in her hair, so anyway. 
And Carolyn says she wished she'd been your neighbor gr- when she was growing up. Oh, that's sweet, Isn't Carolyn. That nice? well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So I appreciate it, Mom, listening, you coming and joining us in the call. I really, really appreciate it. So let me do the wrap-up here and just let everybody know that um, I will, now that the trade show is over for me, I will be much more of a um, fixture in um, Facebook because of the trade show. Um, I kind of let that go, but now we're... um, we're back on our more regular schedule on the Facebook group and we'll be back in um, two weeks with another podcast. And I'm going to talk more about trade shows about actually what, if you've never attended one, what you need to expect um, physically and mentally to get yourself ready and just how to approach that first booth that you're scared to death to approach. That's what, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, because a couple people are on on the fence about going, and we need to make it less scary. So I, I'm getting lots of thank yous from everybody, Mom. So um, fun hour, sweet Mom. Thank your Mom for us. Your Mom's really smart. Where did she learn child psychology? So thanks, Mom. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Okay, and we'll see you guys all on Facebook. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.